people just like you have taken the brave step to do this thing we call work differently. They tell their self-unlimited story to inspire and encourage you. Another story begins now. Today, it's my great pleasure to be speaking with Rebecca Gordon. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you so much, Helen. Welcome. Now, Rebecca, I've invited you here today because you have a great story to tell about when life brought a big change to your workscape and that what I'm particularly fascinated by is how things that you had learned at work helped you deal with that challenge. Now, at this point, people might be thinking, what is this challenge that Helen's speaking of? So I'm going to let you, Rebecca, tell us the story and set us the scene. Over to you. Great. Thank you, Helen. Well, my big life challenge that hit me recently in the last couple of years was that I was quite unexpectedly diagnosed with a brain tumour. And um, it happened right on the weekend where I had finished up one job and had said my goodbyes to Mm -hmm. To the team and I was due to start my new role on the Tuesday after the long weekend and everything sort of came undone after that diagnosis. So I had to really re reevaluate what was happening. But in a in a situation where I actually didn't have any answers, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't know whether I needed surgery, I didn't know whether I needed time off work, I didn't know what was going forward. And that really changed the position that I thought that I was in going into a brand new team that I had been uh, headhunted for as an asset to suddenly sort of thinking, well, hang on a second, I might be a liability to these people. But I believe that, you know, regardless of what situation that you're in, you can always add value. So Mm. I committed myself to doing, you know, sort of what I could in the the limitations that I had. And then, you know, to shortcut the story, everything's fine now. And I've had my surgery and I've gotten it all clear from the neurosurgeon just yesterday to um, that everything's uh, good. So, you know, but in the last couple of years, I've had this wonderful opportunity to have that sabbatical break that we talk about, you know, Mm -hmm. sort of having that ability to reflect on what it is that I want from life and Mm -hmm. what it is that I can contribute and I got to the, I think, a um, a stage where I really thought about, well, not so much of selling myself about what I have done previously and, you know, sort of not resting on my laurels, but, you know, sort of what you've done previously and what you've achieved suddenly becomes secondary to, well, what can you do now? Wonderful. So that whole thought of, well, what are my new limitations? What direction do I want to go in? And what do I want to gain from my own experience and, and my mm. own input? So, you know, it, it it was certainly not an overnight conversation or, an, you know, a revelation that just came to me. This is something that I've really thought about over the last couple of years through a lot of walking and mm. thinking and reflecting. So... Mm. You know, there's that sense that whatever you want to do, there's hard work involved in it. Mm. I was thinking before, you know, sort of had that transition of, you know, who I thought I was as a, you know, young gun um, starting out in a career, you know, sort of near on 35 years ago. And it's that sense of, 
I can do anything. Put me to a task and I can give it a go. But then you get to a point where you sort of think, well, um, maybe I can't and maybe I shouldn't is how you go. And I was sort of thinking that, you know, it's that sense of moving from that young gun to the old guard Mm. Uh, before you realise it, um, you, you know, you're the way that people perceive you Mm. is different. Well, also my understanding is from neuroscience that in our early 20s, we are less risk averse. There's something about our biology and our way and our life experience. We kind of believe anything is possible and we have a fearlessness about us. But somewhere in our mid-20s through to our 40s, that kind of flips and we become far more aware of risk and less likely to take risks. And the notion is partly about, well, that's the stage we're moving into, the nurturing, the raising a family, having yes. to think about all of the things associated with caring for that family unit. And there's a statistic about the number of people who are starting Sorry, the age of people who are starting new businesses, because it's often it's thought those entrepreneurial, innovative people, you do your best work in your late 20s. There's actually a period of in your late 40s and early 50s where actually more people are starting businesses and doing innovative work. And it's seen as potentially you're coming out of that risk averse period and, and really like, well, what was I worried about? Bring it on. I've got this wisdom and this insight and all of these years <laughs> behind me. Uh, and I wonder if that reflects on um, that the children that you were nurturing in your early 30s are suddenly teenagers and going through that stage themselves. Uh, possibly, possibly. <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> so going back to the things that I got from, you know, my my work experience and to mm-hmm. sort of explain where I've come from, I was in a very large government department delivering multi-million dollar projects to customers and to, and to government. And we went through a period of first, you know, sort of establishing a very structured project management office approach to to our work and, you know, sort of very much, not old school because I don't like that term, but traditional project management approach. And, you know, as with any large organisation, the bureaucracy got heavier and heavier and heavier as it went. And it got to the point where, you know, it was stifling to try and adhere to expectations of everybody and, you know, ticking all those boxes. And we did, as a department, go through that agile uplift uh, has certainly been hitting a lot of organizations and we started exploring different ways to do work and different approaches and I think through that came a lot of information that was really elevating you know mm-hmm. in a sense when I first discovered project management like I was really happy with it because it gave me a sense of structure and Mm -hmm. order and expectations that allowed you know that that framework for people to work in and it got easier as it went along but then when the agile stuff came in as well I didn't think that it it was a replacement to what we had learned I saw it as being in addition to or complementary to or another toolbox that you could draw Mm. from as required. Mm. And um, anyway, so we learned a lot about Kanbans and agile ways of thinking and doing work in cadence and taking on a rhythm 
um, which was, you know, really very helpful work-wise. Mm. And we had been teaching people because I worked in the project management office in the training area. Yes. And we had been exploring a whole lot of ideas about what is a better way to work? What is something that we can get all of these really major projects through, but do it in a way that is customer orientated and adds value to the end product as opposed Mm. to let's get this piece of work done. Anyway, so that's a little bit of background where I was coming from. And then, and I was so fortunate, I I guess, in being the contract manager for the training that I got to go to a lot of training events and Mm. I got to see and hear from a lot of really interesting people who were bringing in these new ideas. And uh, I cannot stress enough how important to me and you know to I, I think to others is the value of networking and and diverse networking to mm. uh, to pick up all of those ideas anyway so um you might come back to actually explaining a little bit more about what that networking looks like for you sure a- absolutely but then to get on to mm. uh, what happened with the brain tumor I went through a period of reflection and understanding the diagnosis and accepting that my life was changing. Mm -hmm. And this is where I sort of linked in the agile mindset of Mm -hmm. exploring new ideas, not locking yourself in, being prepared to accept new information and to work with it, but not feel like I had just been given a sentence you know mm. so it wasn't the end of the story it, mm. it, it was to me it was a an issue that I had to work through and resolve so and the agile... it, it's a bit of a challenging situation because you are the person to whom this is happening and so you're having to deal with that yourself and then you've got family members around you who are concerned for you and wondering how they can help and at the same time you're dealing with a medical profession that has maybe some very good experience and knowledge to draw upon but also has a lot of questions and you are the center of all of that <laughs> uh yes yes and that and that describes it perfectly you know you, you almost have to be you know what immediately pictured in my mind there was the centre of a, a of a hurricane or a cyclone. Mm. Um, you've got all these things swirling around you, different people's expectations, different people's concerns, and especially you know close family members can be very anxious for mm. you. For me, I didn't want to take that anxiety on because mm. I wanted to be calm myself. Um, mm you're dealing not just with your emotions and your thought process, you're dealing with others, you know, quite rightly, because that's what we're a social network of people mm. and, and people want answers and they they want clarity when you don't have it yourself. So, mm. yeah, so I, I found that really interesting on reflection, how comfortable I was with the idea of moving into this space of, complexity or disorder because the tools that I had picked up at work and had thought about was that um, there's a way through this Mm. Uh, it's just it's just working my own pathway through Mm. and if I can sort of pull back a bit you know sort of in my early 20s and 30s I think I went through a period where I had like crippling high expectations of myself to be 
the best at what I did or to, you know, 100% effort or energy into something that, you know, that I had to do not everything perfectly, but I, I had to get it right mm. um, because people were relying on you. And I, and some point over, you know, sort of the last 20 or 30 years, I, you know, sort of came to that conclusion. You don't actually have to get it perfect at all. You just have to take a step forward that incremental progress and improvement is absolutely valuable to doing something. So just because something is uncontrollable or it's massive, you know, that little saying, an elephant can be eaten one bite at a time. Mm, yes. I hate the thought of anyone eating elephants. <laughs> yes. but, um, but it's, Although you know, it's every the, journey begins with one step. How about yeah. that? Yeah, ex- and exactly. It's, you know, you don't have to have all the answers and you don't have to know the end goal. You just have to move a little bit forward. So mm. that mindset was really helpful. And I, I've certainly spoken to you before, Helen, about the Kinevan framework and how I was looking at that and thinking, this is the situation that I'm in. You know, I'm in this chaotic stage of not knowing, not understanding, but my neurosurgeon was sitting there quite clearly with the knowledge and the experience and the expertise that it wasn't a complicated situation for him at all. Like he he knew exactly what he was doing. I'm forever grateful for that. But also, you know, that did not stop him asking questions. Mm. It didn't stop him going through my medical history and asking me questions and making me feel comfortable. Like mm. he, he he didn't come in there and say, well, I know what I'm doing, you know. Yeah. Well, he, he didn't just see, it was like, here is another body with a brain tumor to be removed. Here is Rebecca. Let me understand Rebecca. Who is Rebecca? Yes. And that's both, well, what is Rebecca as a physical being? Because there may be things physiologically and anatomically that I need to take into account if I'm yeah. going to do surgery on Rebecca but also for Rebecca's recovery Rebecca is a psychological social emotional being and who is this person I'm dealing with yeah and and that is so true Helen those were exactly the questions that he asked me what is important to you Mm. I just uh, amazing question for a neurosurgeon to ask someone with a brain tumor I thought he was very good at understanding who I was and what was important to me And what was his, you know, I guess what was his KPI, his key performance indicator on me following the surgery, what was going to be important to me so that he had that sort of baseline idea. I guess everything was important to me at that point. You know, I I didn't want to lose anything. It's amazing to be asked that question and it just occurs to me, and this could be a whole other conversation. What if people were with a leader or a manager who had that same attitude as the neurosurgeon? Yes, yes. And thank you, Helen. You, you literally just took the next thought out of oh, my segue, head. Oh, so segue, lovely. We are definitely on the same path there because as a staff manager, that is a really important question to be asking. Mm. Everyone that we work with, they all have their own lives, their own expectations, their own limitations and things like that. There is definitely work to be done. But what is that value add question? And this is why I really like the value exchange cards and thinking about that. And what is it that you want to get out of your working life? And what is important to you? And I think that this episode with me, it gave me that really good grounding or 
stop sign where I got the opportunity to stop and think before I take the next step in my working career. And I absolutely do not believe it's over, even though currently quite happily doing a lot of knitting at the moment uh, and volunteer work. But it's that sense of what can you do next? Mm. How do you pull all of this together? And what is the value add that you have? And as I was sort of thinking about this podcast, I, you know, again, reflecting back on my younger years, it was so much about what do other people think of me? What can I do to, you know, make sure that these people think of me in a good way or, you know, mm. a productive way? But then, you, you know, you get to the point where you think, well, what other people think of you is not important to a sense. I, I don't. Yeah, and it's interesting not suggesting... to a sense because I think there's an interesting thing there that it, what occurred to me is how many times there are these statements that get made, like don't care about what other people think about you. And it's like, however, we're social creatures and we need yes. to be in relationships. So I need people to believe that I am trustworthy and that I trust them and that I'm empathetic. And and so this kind of notion, and, and it occurs to me that when you say like your reflection and this big challenge that happened in your life, what that afforded you was a moment to stop standing in the position you were in and maybe take a step to the left or maybe it was a number of steps to the left or the right. <laughs> and now you look at these things from a slightly different angle. So it's not a case that they were not true at all. You see them from a different perspective. Absolutely, yes. I firmly believe that we are social creatures and our value add is not just what we can contribute, but what you can learn from others. And, I, you know, I love the whole learning journey and learning from other people mm. and whether it's work-related or craft-related or mental health-related, anything, you know, people have got value to be added there. Mm. Um, but I do say it with a caveat um, mm. that it becomes less important what other people think of you, but it doesn't mean that you devalue or dismiss mm their ideas or their their import because mm. they simply may have had better insight than what's going on. Mm. And it sort of ties into another thing that I've learned over those years is the idea of compromising but without regret. Mm. So I think there are multiple times in your life where you have to compromise. Um, mm. You're never going to have everything that you want or everything that you need. It's um, not a Disney fairy princess story, but there are times when you are going to have to compromise on what you can have or what you can do, but do it, I think, with a sense of without regret. So, mm. and what I mean by that is that if you make a decision to go down one path or another, do it with boundaries in mind. Mm. Right? So, I'm prepared to stop work if I can still do this or I'm prepared to let a relationship go so long as I don't lose this part of mm. it. I think if you give in to other people's demands repeatedly, you lose yourself in that that equation. So I think there is absolutely nothing wrong with compromise mm. and compromising where you're going and changing and adapting where you're going. Mm. But do so with a clear choice in mind that you're prepared to let that go. Mm. Um, because I think if you 
make a decision to let something go and you regret it and that upsets you, then that can, I think, it builds resentment and it builds hurt and fear, mm. all of those really negative emotions that go mm. in with it. And again, like I said, you know, I don't think life's a fairy tale. I don't think it mm. works out exactly yeah. the way that you want all the time. But I do think that if you can let things go, yeah, compromise, but still stand your ground on the things yeah. that are important to you, yes. Um, then that makes the journey out of that mm. so much easier. So For me, I had a situation where there was a number of roles that I had in different organisations and it would come to sort of about an 18-month period and things became sour for me. And I was like, gosh, am I so bad at picking roles? Why do I get myself in this situation each time? And I came to this realisation of that, and, you know, excuse the language, shit happens in jobs and there's a certain honeymoon period and or it turned out maybe it was around the 12 to 18 month period that I would enter a role and I would be excited because I took it for the following reasons I was going to be able to contribute this and they were going to value these things from me and around that 12 18 month mark that had kind of changed and then yeah. at that point the things that were the natural shit that flows around in organizations <laughs> became more apparent to me and in my face and where the realization came was like that's always there it's not a case of like I had somehow magically been preventing it from happening what yes. was different is I what I valued in terms of what I could put in and get out yep. that was shifting so what I learned was take a moment reevaluate and I love that term reevaluate like where was the value again oh that's right when I came here I wanted these things and I'm not getting mm. them anymore okay well I have a choice is there some other things I could get that would be valuable to me or well and I can let those go because I'm now picking some other things or it's like you yeah, know I got the value out of them so let me just kind of celebrate that I got what I wanted out of them. I don't have to keep hanging on to them as if they need to keep dishing up something for me. And the minute I do that reevaluation, it's like the shit magically disappeared. And I realize it's got nothing to do with the shit. It's got to do with how I am perceiving it. Absolutely. A absolutely. It's, it's that sense that, you know, um, I guess that life happens around you. Mm. And, you know, exactly what you said, you know, it's, it's, it's some workplaces you think are really awful, but when you got there, it was fantastic. Exactly. Which um, I used to think it must the, be me then. Yeah, the people are always friendly. And, um, yeah. and you know, when you find that group of people and you find that environment that fosters the value of the staff in there and the value of the work that you're doing, oh, you know, it's just yeah. magical. I love being in teams that really commit themselves to mm. achieving something but I also find too that the clarity of that and yes. the guiding of that has to come well you know certainly in the public service it has to come from the leaders mm. and if they're not providing that then it can be really frustrating because you don't yeah. you don't know where you're supposed to be yeah you're just turning up every day so well two um, things I think you said that I think are really kind of quite powerful one is that you need some time to reflect. So yes. if you're just going, 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 and all of this, there's a sense of unease, but you've not given yourself some time or some breathing space to be able to sit back and go, what is this? But also too, if you don't even have a vocabulary 
to kind of hook on to making the sense of it, which is why I created the value exchange cards as a way of giving people a vocabulary of like, rather than like sitting with a blank paper, like, well, I don't know what I want here. I can, mm. they can play mm. through the value elements of, oh, that seems an interesting thing. What, what meaning do I make of that? And so there's both that, yeah, having a, a place and a time for reflection and then having some way to work through and give something language, because I think, to your point, like when the neurosurgeon asked you what was important to you, and I, I think if I was as a team leader was asking people on my team what's important to me, yeah. people kind of look like deer struck in headlights. Like, first of all, nobody's ever asked me this. Gosh, that could be quite a useful thing. But heck, I've never thought about this before. I don't know what to say. I wish they hadn't asked me this. Now I'm in an uncomfortable <laughs> position. Why did this person do this to me? And I think sometimes it gets thrown to the leader. Like, well, you tell me what's important. It's like, well, no, as the leader, I can surely tell you what's valuable that you can do for me and for this team and what we can do. But I'd like you also as your own independent entity to have a view about that and then let's figure out a nice symbiotic relationship. And I guess this is where it's not just the framework and the language, it's the opportunity to explore those ideas Mm. in a safe space. Mm. So if I can picture, like, you know, if I'm sitting down with a supervisor and they just lay it on me and say, well, what's important to you, Rebecca? Mm. Um, you know, that's going to that's gonna scare me because yeah. I'm thinking, oh, why do they might need be suspicious to of their motivations? <laughs> why do they need to know that? And did they just come out of a training course but only sat through half yes. of it? Um, <laughs> but it's one of those things where I really do enjoy the approach of bringing games to work. Mm. So, and bringing fun activities to work and getting, you know, it's an absolutely valuable way of learning. What's an example? Well, so um, I I did go through an activity with a company who came in and we literally drew little avatars of ourselves and pictures. And now this is before online avatars became a thing. Um, we drew a little cartoon character of ourselves and we described ourselves and and we played around with it and it was just asking questions backwards and forwards and we created a chart of the team, you know, sort of who was in the team and what was important to us. And it was really interesting because there were people in the room that I had known for a long time, but there were little tiny things about them that we had never discussed. Mm. Uh, You know, there was never that opportunity from a work perspective to understand that he's a person that loves Tolstoy. Oh, my gosh. I love Tolstoy. I love reading it. Don't know that I would go back and read it, but, you know, it was an experience (laughs) that I could then relate to with Mm. this person who I didn't know was a reader Mm. and just little things like that. The other activity that I I did in a training course, which I found was really valuable, is that we went through, and now this was a multi-day event. So Mm. at one of the exercises, we just wrote down, what are the top five things that we spend our time on? Mm. And then in a quite deliberately very different activity, a couple of days later, we got asked sort of to write down, what are our top five priorities in life? Sort of, and I can guarantee you almost everybody put family and relationships first. Mm. But when we talked about what are our top five time commitments a couple of days previously, almost everybody had work first mm. and then they had family, you know, sort of way down the other end. Right. And then the facilitator got us to bring the two lists together and just reflect, what are we spending the most of our time on? 
Mm. But what is most important to us? Mm. And just that little activity was a bit of an eye opener, I think, for a lot of people in the room just when mm. I'm not spending my time on the yes. things that are most important. So, you know, that was one little exercise which I thought was really interesting and fun, maybe a little bit confronting to people too. Yeah. Um, well, I think yeah. there's something powerful. I mean, I'm the kind of person that reflects often. But I've come to appreciate that there are many people who's like, what is this thing you call reflection and why would I do it? And, mm-hmm. and it sounds from what you were saying and even the fact when you started the conversation about this medical situation created a sabbatical for you. I'm curious, had you taken sabbatical-like moments in your life before the medical situation created this very sizable <laughs> one for you? say yes so in my final year at at uni I did have some minor health issues which ended up you know sort of I I just sort of changed my ideas about what I wanted to do and what I wanted to finish and you know very quickly running out of money because that's when the hex fees started coming in and kicking in and you had to work and balance it all out so I took 12 months off um, being at uni and really thinking about, well, what did I want to get out of this course that I had really just been ad hocly picking subjects that seemed interesting to me. And I I have to laugh at myself because honestly, I thought I would never really work. I would be a full-time student for the rest of my life right. and I would go from one thing to another and just become a, a university rat. You know, right, I right. just, that's where I saw my life going or that I would get married and have children and I didn't have to work. Right, so, right. right. That, so I was picking subjects that were just interesting, Japanese sociology and anthropology, cool. uh, Indigenous art, you know, all, all sorts of things. But anyway, but after I sort of realised, well, maybe I wasn't going to be getting married and having children straight away and maybe I did need to think about a career by that stage, I'd already started in the public service. So I did have to sort of stop and think, well, if I'm going to finish this degree off, which I did, I need to pick some subjects which I'm going to learn something out of and make it useful. So not really a sabbatical as such, but just a drop from studying Mm. for 12 months to have a a re-evaluation of it. Mm. And the second time, I think, was when I had my two children. And now they are, I won't say exactly, but they are multiple years apart from each other. So I had Mm. a big break between the two because I don't believe in making, you know, you need to give yourself a rest after you've had (laughs) But anyway, I I did have a big break between having children. So there's a big age group. But the second time around, I think I came back as a more relaxed parent because I knew not necessarily what worked and what didn't work because each child is different and they have their own needs and requirements. Mm. And one of my friends said to me, oh, you've done this all before. At least this time you won't make mistakes. And I just laughed and I said, no, I am just going to make different mistakes. Exactly. (laughs) Try new things, make new mistakes. (laughs) Exactly. Life sort of throws you those abilities, yeah. I think, to to take that time to reflect. But yeah, so I mm. I think the idea of a sabbatical yeah. and reflection, and like you, Helen, I have always been self-reflective, many motivational reasons, but also you know a little bit of because I've moved around a lot. 
Mm. A change of place can often be that trigger for, oh, things I have to think are new here because the patterns and the ways I was doing things or the assumptions I made are no longer valid, whether that's changing cultures, moving to a different house, trying out a different job. I'm I'm a really big fan of saying to people, because they might think, oh, sabbatical means you go up to the mountain and I'm sitting there in a nice temple and I'm drinking cups of tea and I'm fasting or something. I think I would encourage people to think of a sabbatical could be just like a three day weekend retreat, but something where you physically take yourself away from the normal pattern of being and you break the normal rhythm of your life to do things differently and give your an opportunity to kind of quieten the maelstrom of normal life around you and just see what will emerge. But within a a world that's kind of so focused on, you must have goals and you must um, have an outcome. I think, one of the things I would say to anybody with these reflective periods, which is why I think often they're holiday breaks, they go on holiday and they come back like, that's it, I hate this job I'm leaving, is because you go away with holiday without necessary any expectations of needing to achieve something. But there's something about creating an open space of, I don't know necessarily what's going to happen or where this is going to go, which is, I think, such an opportunity for the universe or your brain to go, well, thank you so much. Finally, we can have the conversation we needed to be having. Exactly, exactly. And I love that idea too, because it, it you're exactly right. It doesn't have to be a 12-month sabbatical. It can be a weekend, but it, it can also be just meditation for half an hour. Mm. I do, again, going back to when I was younger, somebody said suggested to me that I should try meditation. And I, I was appalled at the idea. And I said, I am too busy for meditation. Like I, I don't have any time for that. But I do make time for it now. Mm. And whether that's it's sitting quietly in the garden or it's knitting or something else that just occupies your mind a little yes. bit, takes you away. I'm an avid, avid reader. I love reading because I think every book you open is an opportunity to explore another idea, another place, another value. And I deliberately pick books that are not the same. I went through a stage where... So Canberra has this enormous book fair event a couple of times a year where Lifeline sell donated books and then right. you know, and you can get bags and bags of books at a very reasonable price. So, you know, it's a little bit free for all. But I went through a stage where I just picked up books that had been written in another language but translated to English. Wow. Um, and I just went through a period of just looking at, well, what is the perspective of people from different cultures that mm-hmm. I've never, never experienced? And of you know, mm-hmm. and even if you travel, you don't necessarily get that cultural yes. immersement of how people think and value things mm-hmm. in different cultures. Yeah, uh, which I find fascinating. So. Yeah. And even the cadence changes. I'm currently reading a book that was in Japanese translated into English called Before the Coffee Gets Too Cold. And just the rhythm of the story, I can see you writing that down. I'll send you a link. Um, There's two of them. But the the rhythm of the story kind of feels like it's not fast-paced enough. And I've had to stop and go, but why am I expecting fast-paced? I'm a great fan of science fiction and certain things. I've got into a headspace of the genre that I want served up to me just rest, just go with this, just lean into this. And because I've lived in Japan, I kind of recognize some of the qualities of a cadence of 
a Japanese way of being. And it's like, just lean into that. And so in some ways, I guess I'm creating a sort of a mini sabbatical like thing for myself <laughs> and the space that I'm creating around reading this book and just yeah, being differently while I'm taking in, but not from the point of view of like, I have to get something out of this. There has to be something to be achieved. Exactly. But also tying it back into the, the point before, if I'm two, three chapters into a book and it's just not ringing for me, mm. um, I will put it down. Because And that was the hardest thing for me to do, to learn, because as an English lit student, you had to finish the book. Right. Um, so, you know, there was a, there's a lot of books that I read that I sort of think, I wish I hadn't have spent any time reading that. But mm. you had to because it was part of your course. But now I get to the point where if I invest in a book, I don't feel the need to 100% complete mm. it mm. if it is not giving me the value that um, I'm enjoying it. Yes, yes. It's good. Because, you know, to be fair, there are a lot of books out there that I will never get the chance to read. Yes. So why read a book that's not giving you any any, we may be of a certain generation that grew up with that idea that once you start something, you should finish it. Yeah. And, and whether that's the meal on the, in front of you or yeah. the, <laughs> the book that you were given, or I remember when it was dance classes for me as a child. And I've come to appreciate as an adult, it's more important that you try something and see how it kind of feels for you. And you have to make your own personal decision, whether it's something like, you yeah, know, this discomfort, I should lean into this and push through. This is just me at the edge of my comfort zone. And there may be something valuable to learn here. Or yes. no, this is not doing anything for me. Stop. And nobody from the outside can tell you what that is. And, and it's quite an empowering position to be because there will be people like, no, 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 that's just you being, and I got this as a child, that's you just being lazy and not committing. You really need to push through, which I think put me into situations where I should have listened to the inner voice that said, no, stop, no, enough. This is, you know, don't waste the time on this or don't invest in these people. Yeah. And so there's something about that inner voice that honoring that inner voice that's become a really important thing I've learned over the years. I love that. Yes, absolutely. So coming to a close there's many things we've meandered on this conversation and some <laughs> far from the original topic which is fine and one of the things I love about having these podcast conversations when you think about the life that has been for you over the last couple of years and the challenge that you faced with the health and the readjustment there's lots that you obviously have learned. I'm wondering if you look and think, if there was a do-over, I might do some things differently or I'm just going to pat myself on the back for doing things that maybe intuitively it felt right at the time, but I didn't know it. But looking back, gosh, that was a great thing to have done. Mm. Oh, that's, that is a big question. So I think maybe some of the things that I can congratulate myself for mm. is looking after myself as a primary focus yes. and there is a sense that either as a team leader or as a parent that you know you're you give to others and I don't suggest in any way to stop that but you sometimes lose focus on yourself um, mm. because you're busy giving but I did things like you know sort of I had been a couple of times but then I sort of put it made it a priority for myself to do a weekly park run. So park run is a free event 
five kilometres every Saturday morning across Australia. And there's lots and lots of clubs that do it. Um, but I committed myself to doing that. And I am so grateful that I did do that because I then started walking more and more throughout the week mm. to try and get better at the Saturday one because uh, I'm still <laughs> I'm still motivated by improvement, even if it's slow yes. um, and getting there. But I'm comfortable that I'm not a front runner. Right? Mm. I am comfortable that I am not in the lead pack anymore. If I sit in the middle or towards the end of the, you know, the group of people and a lot of people walk it, not run it, mm. that is perfectly fine. Showing uh, up is its yeah, own amazing achievement. Exactly. You know, I got up, I got out of bed and I did it. And for most part, with the exception of lockdown, I did it every week. So focusing mm. on my health became a priority for me and understanding a little bit more about my own body signals, which perhaps I may have been ignoring or putting aside. But also, like uh, I mentioned the compromise without regret before. Mm. The idea of it's okay to give in or to let go or mm. to stop doing things, but do it with a conscious decision of understanding what you're prepared to give up. Mm. And what you're okay with letting go of. Mm. Um, so that's uh, so you can move forward. I mm. think you know, if you're forced into a situation of giving something up, it's a very different situation mm. choosing. And uh, I understand that. And then just finally, that whole sense of why am I doing this? What is my why? And I'm sure many people have heard of it, but the, the whole uh, Simon Sinek why conversation mm start with the why and again that's another thing that you know we did that as an exercise at work why are we doing this project mm. what are we trying to achieve out of this project but it's also very much about why are you doing this project mm. what motivates you and that mm. whole sense of what are your priorities in life and and then but then following through mm. and actually putting your time and effort into the things that mm. are a priority um, because, you know, without getting morbid, there there was that realisation of, oh, shit, there might not be a tomorrow. Mm. And again, you know, I've come out of this very well, but those thoughts do go through your mind, you mm. know, sort of, well, we are not immortal, we are mortal beings, and there is an end point at some point, and, you, you know, the idea is, I think, is to make the absolute most of the time that you've got and value mm. it. The thought that add, <laughs> yeah, the thought that add to that why is that sometimes I think people think, oh, I'm supposed to come up with this amazing thing and it will be in flashing lights and it will have totally transformed my life and I'm, I'm not getting there. Something's wrong with me. I would encourage people to think you can just come up with a why for today. It doesn't have to be the why yeah. that's forever and it might be a small why and it might be a vague why. It's more about having the conversation than landing on, oh, I've got a nice three-word statement or a short sentence that can go on my LinkedIn profile. It's something that <laughs> is refining. And, I, I mean, I have a, a a kind of a why that's on my LinkedIn profile. And people go, that's amazing. I'm like, that was 13 years in the making of actually <laughs> writing something down, crafting it, trying it out on for size. So these things, and, and it, it could change tomorrow. I'm, I'm actually okay with it. It's not like, well, I've now got it figured out. Helen has set 
for the rest of her life. It's like tomorrow <laughs> I might come up with a different why. So there's something about, yeah, tap the conversation and hold on to it lightly and don't judge yourself for somehow failing because you haven't come up with what you think is a fantastic statement or, or something really clear. It's just even make, it's a sense-making process is probably the thing to say. Absolutely, yeah. yes. Rebecca, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thanks so much for being with me in it. Thank you so much, Helen. I love these conversations. And like you said, it went in directions that I wasn't even expecting. And I'm never, never, never shy to have a chat with. Brilliant. Thank you. Well, I think there's much that people can take away from it. So I'm glad. Thank you. Thank you so much. Workscapes are changing everywhere. For more goodness to change your workscape, visit www.beselfunlimited.com 